Welcome back to another episode of Not Even D2, the podcast covering Division Three sports through interviews with those involved in Division Three. Before we get into the episode, I just want to apologize real quick. Ruda and I were dealing with some audio issues, which were cause which was causing a few echoes throughout the episode. So if you hear that, that's the reason. Um, but for today's episode, we have Coach David Hastings, Coach of Keene State who is currently ranked 11th in the Division Three rankings. One of the best teams in the country, definitely a team to look forward to playing in the NCAA tournament and can make some noise winning it all. Coach Hastings had an interesting career coaching at the high school level, then being an assistant coach at the D3 level, moving on to associate head coach, and now as the acting head coach. So ton of perspective he has about the game of basketball, and the different levels. So hear all about his career, what makes Keene State so good, and advice he has for future coaches. Thanks for tuning in to another episode, and let's get into a conversation with Coach Hastings. All right, we're here with Coach Hastings. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourselves? We're we're feeling good. Um, we appreciate you joining the show. It means a lot. So recently, yesterday, you guys celebrated senior night, big win over RIC. What does it mean to you watching all those guys grow up from their freshman year to now and seeing all their families come out to enjoy the special night? Yeah, the phenomenal thing about Keene State is the uh, parents come a lot. It's a great following we have at Keene, so families are there often. Uh, one of the players, Alonzo Linton, he'd only been with us for one year of playing. He was there last year just academically, so I haven't ha- I'm haven't. i not as close with him, although I did recruit him out of high school. He just chose to go the uh, JUCO route for a couple of years. He was in Louisiana for a while. He was in South Dakota, and then he finally came back to Keene where he really belonged for, wish it had been four years. But uh, I, Jeff Hunter is, I mean, everybody knows Jeff across the country and everything he means to basketball. But I emphasized yesterday, even with the uh, crowd and his family, he's so much more than a basketball player. Uh, he's a young man. It's an entrepreneur right now. Uh, he does stuff with the with raising money for homeless and disabled and a lot of different projects like that that he's involved with. So, hey, seeing a guy go, it, it's me, so meaningful to the community, but uh, as far as our team goes, the statistics that that guy puts up, I mean, he's the fourth all-time leading scorer. He's a leading rebounder. He's a leading block shot, man. He's the highest shooting percentage. You don't replace a guy like Jeff Hunter. You just hope to find somebody to chip in or a group of people to chip in and do what he does. Yeah. Now, we'll definitely go into more about Jeff Hunter. Uh, great talent over there. But I want to start at the beginning of your coaching career and just hear a little about what made you want to get into coaching. Yeah, well, I played sports my entire life. I was always a three-sport athlete growing up in high school. I went away to the military, and I was actually on a a military basketball team then. When I got out, I had kids, and I started coaching my kids. And uh, it just evolved from there. You know, I went from the youth sports into the um, middle school, high school's level. And for years, I'd done that, and I really had a goal that I wanted to be a college coach. So just kind of evolved into that. Yeah, is your ultimate goal to – remain at the D3 level, or are you trying to reach the highest point in college at a, a big-time D1? Well, I mean, I am a, a little older than a lot of people that get involved in it. 
Um, so I, I, I'm probably at the level where I'm going to stay. I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if somebody I'd coached in the past happened to step into a division one team and asked me to come along with them, there's a likelihood I'd do that just to be able to say that I did it. Uh, but I'm, I'm really, really comfortable at Keene and I, I really love the Keene area and the people that I get to come. The kids I recruit to Keene are all real culture and habit type people. And I like where I'm at. Respect. Um, so, so you were kind of based in the Springfield, Massachusetts area, like the Western Mass area. Um, talk about your time just as a coach in that area and what you saw, because basketball was invented in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah, the funny thing, if people don't really go to the Hall of Fame as much locally, you would mm -hmm. think as much as people that travel to go there. It's another one of those things where because it's in your backyard, people don't really go and see it that often. Um, yeah. We're about 45 minutes north of Springfield. You know, I've been to the Hall of Fame a number of times. They do a lot of basketball tournaments down in that area. So, I mean, I think it's really important to get the youth to go down and, and experience that and see some of the history of what's gone on with basketball because, you know, history is history. They can always yeah. learn from it and they gain from it. So it's important to educationally take it out and see that. Um, and also kind of circle back on your time in Western Mass. You were the chief of police in Gill, Massachusetts um, for 15 years. Um, talk about your time there as the chief of police and if you see any similarities between being the chief of police and also coaching a basketball team. Yeah, so my history goes, I started out at UMass and Amherst. I was there for my first nine years of law enforcement in my career. Uh, so I was there for the heyday of UMass. I'm still mm -hmm. buddies with Lou Rowe, Will Herndon, Anton Brown, um, Harper Williams. We communicate basically on social media, although Lou is, Lou is still in the area. He coaches at high school. Uh, John Calipari, Coach Calipari and I still reach out. Um, Billy Baino, Bruiser Flint, all those guys. So I was highly involved, or at least uh, I won't say involved with them. We interacted a lot while they were at UMass. Mm -hmm. And so I left UMass and I spent 24 years as the chief of police in the town of Gill. Uh, this is where I was born and raised before I left for the military. So I had a good knowledge of the community itself. It is a very small community here. So if anything happens, you pretty much know who it is and who's involved in stuff. Um, the other part of basketball that goes along with that is this is where Northfield Mount Herman School is in the mm -hmm. town of Gill, which has got a, a great reputation for, for basketball and education as well. Uh, but when J Coach John Carroll was there, he'd won a couple national titles at the prep school level here. So there's a lot of talent that comes in through this town. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even answer you. What I see combining the two is yeah. uh, communication. <laughs> uh, I feel like being in law enforcement, the, the greatest asset you have is your ability to speak to people. And mm -hmm. if you speak people speak to people with respect, uh, you'll get respect back. And I find a lot of that goes along in coaching. I like to be able to talk to my guys. I'm not a big yeller anymore. I might have yelled a lot when I was younger. Um, I believe that I should be able to talk to you as, as young men. And, yeah. you know, you should do what I'm asking you to do. And if you don't, then I think it's more valuable or impactful when I yell now because Coach Hastings doesn't usually yell. When I yell, you know, I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm fed up with what you're doing and we need to change what's going on. Mm. Another thing about communication, I feel like it's a very undervalued thing in the world today. And you talked about knowing all those contacts that like big names and Coach Calipari, people of that nature. How do you communicate to kind of better your coaching uh, style or thinking? Are you talking to them about that kind of stuff or talk to me about that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different forums where coaches get together and talk. 
uh, social media has been phenomenal so that people from all over the country can have these, you know, fireside chats and just have coaches, you know, speak about how do they do, whether it's an under and bounds player, how do they defend it? Uh, so yes, the communication that you have reaching out across the country now makes it very easy and is valuable to do. I personally, uh, am more involved with the people right in our area on what we do. I talk with those guys, but in general, the only basketball we talk about is can they ever get to a game? Uh, do they have a, a son that might want to visit Keene State? I look at things like that. Anything to the advantage of Keene, to be honest. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so we also read online that you developed the Edge AAU program. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask you, what are the some, some differences in the AAU culture now compared to when you were really involved in that scene? Yeah. So when I actually began that program, I had uh, three sons at that point, excuse me, two sons playing. And I, I had paid for them to play in another organization and observing it. I kind of looked at it and said, why am I paying money for, the, for what they're doing? Uh, so I started my own program. Uh, we, we started out with one or two teams. We went as far as seven teams. My, my personal philosophy on AAU was to get as many kids playing as possible. I won't say we played at the highest level because I was taking anybody that wanted to be involved in basketball. Because mm -hmm. I think basketball has a greater message than just winning and losing. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. There's teams out there that need to do all those, whether it's the Nike circuit, the Adidas circuit, because they're all looking for Division One scholarship type things. Uh, in our area, we weren't going to have something like that. If you were a better player, yeah, you would go on somewhere else and play. What I see different now is it, it's there's so much more money involved in it. Uh, some of these programs are, are getting thousands from kids to play. And I'm, I'm not sure they're always getting out of it, everything they're putting into it. Uh, it's kind of a pipe dream that these kids are thinking, if I go and play for the biggest organization out there and pay them X number of dollars, that I'm going to get a scholarship. Well, there's only so many scholarships to go around. Uh, yeah. And even when I'm recruiting now, I look at guys that they might go through their high school years and then, oh, I'm going to PG. I, you know, I can get a scholarship that way. And it's like, you're going to spend the money to PG and still play Division Three basketball. You can come and do it right now. But I understand, you know, everybody has to make their own decisions between them and their family. And that's how I talk to them. You know, I, I would like you to come now. If you're going to PG, I'll continue to follow you. And, you know, you can make the decision when you want. Um, but it, it's tough. There's only so many scholarships. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely an area that people should start to improve on. It's like the you got to be more realistic with internally and then also families doing more research on what PG can actually bring to somebody or what this program, AU program can bring to your son or daughter because you're spending, like you said, thousands and then your kid ends up way below than someone who already has a Division One scholarship just from being him, you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's not, you know, I can go and look at some players and go, okay, that, that kid's going to get a scholarship. And I don't waste my time. Uh, it's the same thing with like a grade point level. There's a certain point where I say someone's probably too smart or as smart as they are, they're not going to come to Keene State. You know, mm -hmm. we're state school. We understand that. And I, and I know where it's at. But, you know, if you're a 4-0, you should really go to a more academic school. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, if a kid tells me he's a 4-0, I'm like, yeah, okay, good luck to you. And, and anything I can do to help you, I will. Uh, but that's not the wheelhouse of Keene State. Yeah. Respect, respect. So you've had an interesting career. You've coached for plenty of years. The past eight seasons have been at Keene State. And recently, the old head coach 
uh, Ryan Kane just took a job at Johns Hopkins. You guys spent eight seasons together, five going to the tournament, five 20 plus win seasons. So a lot of history between the two of you. How, talk to me about what that relationship was like and how did it develop over the years? Yeah, so when Ryan got the job there, um, he saw my name written on the desk because I had been running AAU tournaments up there, raising money for the for the previous coach that was there. And uh, Ryan saw my name and it was like, oh, I got to I got to call this guy. Well, I had a son at that point that was coming out of high school and we were at a exposure camp and Ryan saw my son and we started talking. Um, and then, you know, we just figured out I was getting done at the high school level. He said, hey, would you like to come on and coach with me? And so I took the job with Ryan. What was really different about it is going from being a head coach, even though it's high school, you're the head coach, you're making the decisions, whether it's from what you're doing in practice to what you're doing in the game to an assistant coach. And that was a little bit of a struggle for me to begin with, just to not be in charge. And of course, my background in law enforcement being the chief, I was kind of in charge. Uh, it, it was it was humbling to me to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need to sit down, talk less, listen more and go from there. Yeah. Talk about how you navigated that. Like, how did you navigate through like that struggle of you know coming from a high school head coach and also chief of police? You know, would, would it you was tough. To I'm not lying. It was tough. Um, <laughs> so, and again, let, let's back up. I'm I have a son the age of Ryan, so Ryan Kane and I are extremely close. Even like we just talked this morning. Uh, mm -hmm. I love the guy, but I love him like a son as well. And. Mm -hmm. When he, we would talk, there was a certain level of he would talk to me different than he would talk to another assistant because I'm not saying I was a father figure to him, but I was definitely the age of what a father would be to him. So uh, our communication was different in a lot of ways. I just had to learn even different terminology from what they did, what he called and what I did. He was a very, very good player himself. He went to WPI. He was the player of the year in Division Three in 2007. Yep. He's WPI's all-time leading scorer. So it wasn't like he didn't have enough knowledge. He didn't need me for sure. Uh, we just melded together very well. And then after a couple of years, he made me the associate head coach. And our relationship just continued to flourish about input with each other and how we communicated and what we wanted. He came to a point where he trusted enough. I just did all the subbing. I said, look, you worry about what's on the court. I'll sub the players. And if there's something you don't like, obviously you turn around and say, coach, I don't like that. And mm -hmm. I fix it to make it the way he likes it. Yeah. I want to circle back to uh, Mr. Kane leaving Keene State. What were your thoughts during that time period? And did you get an overall sense of how the guys in the locker room felt with uh, their coach leaving? Yeah. Um, you know, Ryan was very, very close with all the players as well. I did a, I was the recruiting coordinator at that point. So I basically recruited most of the guys. Um, but Ryan was close with them. And, you know, there was wasn't hard feelings, but there was a lot of sorrow regarding him leaving. But I think all the players understood you get these opportunities in your life. And as a young college person, you need to understand that you're going to have opportunities in your life growing up as well. And the opportunity to go to Johns Hopkins is a really good gig. Uh, it wasn't that Keen is bad. It's the idea of going into a another conference, trying to develop yourself into a um, more well well-rounded coach um he had an incredible class already there at johns hopkins and they're certainly at a different educational level than what we are at keen as well and frankly it's very even with what ryan was at wpi i think he communicates very well with those guys yeah yeah, yeah. 
Definitely respect the decision. Change the scenery, definitely tough sometimes, but could be for the better. And Johns Hopkins having a great year in the Centennial, 19-6 and six right now. So shout out to Ryan Kane, coach of Johns Hopkins. But you talked about being an associate head coach uh, five years at that position, and now you're as an interim or acting head coach. So talk to me what the role of an associate head coach is and how that differs from your position now. Yeah, the biggest difference is you're making the final decisions. Um, when it comes to basketball, I'll humbly admit so much more going into this job than, than I knew or maybe expected. Uh, when it comes to all the different meetings that the head coach has to go to on the educational level and how the business all works. Uh, I didn't realize all that. Ryan and I would talk a lot and I'd kind of laugh about how long, how much he's doing one thing. And now when we talk, he goes, yeah, it's not so funny now being on the other side of the desk. I mean, you literally move 36 inches from one side of the desk to the other. And it's amazing all the stuff that's going on. Um, I, I mean, Obviously, college guys, you know, you get a you get a call about, huh, there was a big party off campus and guess who was there? It's like, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, I got to deal with that, um, you know, but it, none of it's bad. You know, when it's something that you wanted to do for a dream job, all of you just go, OK, yeah, I'll get that done. I mean, ordering uniforms, it's a whole process. Yeah. You know, it's me when I did stuff with my edge team. I just call a company and order basketball uniforms. Not anymore. You know, it's got to get a purchase order. You got to get approved by the athletic director. Then you got to send it off to finance. Then you get it back. Now you can order something. It's it's just interesting. Um, it's even more cumbersome than being in law enforcement from what I've seen so far. I just kind of chuckled. I said, well, you know, when I had my police budget, it was my budget. I just do it. Now I got to get approval from two or three different people to do really anything. But being being the basketball yeah. coach, the whole difference is just making the decisions. You know, I, I still now I set up the practice plan. I'll ask my assistant coach, is there something you want to cover today? Uh, but like the substitution, I haven't got where I let my my coaches sub yet. I let him start doing the subbing. But if I see something I want, I just do it. Uh, but, you know, we're a new staff together. So I think all those things build as you go on. And hopefully next year I come to a point where I just completely trust what they're doing or they know what I want. That's more about it. Um, they have to understand what my mind is doing, which isn't always easy to do. I had one quick question to ask you. Um, when it comes to your, when your relationship with Ryan Kane and how you were the associate head coach and and he was the head, is there, was there anything that you were doing different or that you were aware of now that you're the head coach and your relationship with your other, because you said it was a new staff, so you have new assistant coaches. So how did you approach that relationship with them? So the first one on my bench uh, actually played at Keene State and he was on staff his first year after graduating, which was my first year there. So I got to know him. The difference is uh, I'm, I'm double his age, yet we're rooming together when we were on trips back eight years ago. Um, so he's one of my assistants. Another assistant was there last year, so he worked with me uh, just underneath me as the associate head coach. And I'd known him for years as a high school coach in the area. So they're not completely like unknowns to me. Um, so that part of it works well. The third head coach is a former player that played for me, and he's been here for two years since then. The only what's going on now, though, is as far as how we do it is Ryan, again, was more um, he was more aggressive as the head coach. I'm more of a speaker. I, I just talk and say this is what I want. So I'll do the same thing with my staff. And that was a little different than the way Ryan handled things. Yeah, I respect it. Let's take a quick break real quick. 
right, we're back. And Kansas State is currently ranked 11th in the D3 Hoops rankings, 11th in the country. You guys are 15-1 in the conference. What makes Keene State so good? I think we have a, a culture that promotes uh, hard work, which if we don't worry about what the score says, we just worry about playing the game the way we, the way we want it played. And we don't worry about who we're playing. We're, you know, our opponents are faceless and nameless. We play the game with go- good culture and good habits, and the score will take care of itself. Respect. How do you develop that type of culture? Like, how do you do that? It it did take some time to do. Uh, there was a few years where we were down, and we just didn't have a good culture. But I think the biggest thing about developing that culture is getting the right people. Yeah. Uh, you have to have people that want to, uh, I don't know, live by certain rules. I mean, there's there's got to be accountability. We certainly utilize that, you know, it's accountability of all, starting from the top to the bottom, bottom to the top from coach to player, player to coach. We all want to be held to the same standard. Uh, something as simple as not wearing hats inside a building. You know, that's a, that's like a team rule that I have. And obviously that comes back from my military days and law enforcement days, but the guys are great. You know, they walk in the building, they take their hats off. It's, it's a way that you build that culture of everybody being together and everybody living by the same rules and having that accountability one through all. All right. You talked about um, building a culture, and each year you're bringing in a different set of guys. What? How do you balance talent and recruitment, and then like how they are as a person and how that might fit in the locker room? A lot of that comes down to the time that we spend with them and the time we spend talking to them. Uh, we we really want to get to know them. We want to get to know their families. We want to get to know anything internally that we can about them as a person, and then we see if it's a type of, we believe they're going to fit into our culture. Anybody that comes to Keene, they obviously do an overnight at our campus. Uh, we'll talk to the players about, you know, how did they interact with everybody? Were they were they outgoing? Were they quiet? Did they seem like they had a good time? And then the next day after the overnights, I typically meet with them and their families again. So it's, a lot of it's about getting to know who they are. Respect. You So you said you were a recruiting coordinator. What do you kind of look for in kids? Like, what do you? Yeah. Uh, I'm different in the sense that, I really go, some, some recruiters will come in, they'll, they'll come at your game time. I actually go everywhere early. I want to see what, what a kid does when he's warming up. I want to see if he stretches out with his teammates. I want to see if he's in the same uniform as his teammates. Uh, a simple example is if everybody's wearing a, a warm-up shirt and we have one player over there, you know, with, his, with that off and wearing a muscle shirt, you know, he wants to stand out different from his team. I, I don't want a kid that wants to come to Keene and thinks he's different. I want everybody to want to be of the same culture. We all wear a warm-up shirt. We all wear a warm-up shirt. Uh, so I want to see how they warm up. I want to see how they how they interact with their teammates during warm-ups, not just during the game. Then obviously you get to the game and you see, you know, how do they interact with their teammates when there's a good thing happens or a bad thing happens. When they sub out of the game, do they jog off the court? Do they walk off the court? When they get to the bench, they shake everybody's hands. Do they sit in a chair, you know, sitting forward, being in, involved in the game? Or do they sit back in the chair like, you know, they're at a movie eating popcorn? All that stuff matters to me about a kid that I want to come to Keene State. Hmm. So focusing back on the players, you're coaching two preseason All-Americans, Octavio Brito and Jeff Hunter. Talk about each of their games and how their respective games complement each other. Obviously, with Brito, he's averaging 19 a game. Um, 
49% from the field, 38% from three, and Hunter, 18 points per game, 63% from the field. And also, I saw this on Instagram, 46 double-doubles in 54 games. Woo. Yeah. Monster. Yeah. He set the record last year in all of the NCA for, uh, I think it was, I, I don't remember what it was. I don't want to say a number. The clock <laughs> is hanging on my wall. Yeah. I think it was 26 and 30 games or something like that. Uh, Jeff's a double-double machine, and he should be. He's worked incredibly hard throughout his uh, entire career. Um, speaking of him, you know, we we do walkthroughs on a Saturday before we we so we play at three o'clock on a Saturday. We'll do a walkthrough at nine thirty in the morning because I like getting everybody up. I want them up and moving. Um, and we'll get done with the walkthrough, and Jeff goes to the weight room and lifts before he goes home. You know, after a game, Jeff will go and lift. Uh, 10.30 at night on a Friday or Saturday, you'll know Jeff's in the weight room lifting because he'll take a picture and put it on Instagram. He doesn't go out. Um, I'm not saying Jeff didn't have his times, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior year, but right now he's a fifth-year senior. He's matured past all that, and he spends a lot of time. The great leader that he is is he's always trying to have somebody else be with him. He brings another player with him to the weight room or in the gym for extra shots. Working with Jeff as a preseason All-American, um, I mean, I saw every game he had in high school. I was talking to one of his aunts last night at senior day, and she said, how many games did you see in, in uh, Assabet High School? It was a tech school at that. And I'm like, I was there for every I, – I held his 1,000-point balloons. Um, wow. Yeah, we were just there. We were there for every game. And then he played yeah. volleyball and asked me why I wouldn't come watch him play volleyball. I said, because I'm not a volleyball recruiter. When you decide to commit, I'll come watch you play volleyball. <laughs> and uh, 75% of the way through the season, he, he called me and said, coach, you should come to my volleyball game this weekend. I said, okay. And he committed. Um, Jeff's a wonderful That's person. Awesome. He's got a wonderful family. His accolades in basketball don't say enough about everything he is as a, as a overall person. Uh, but he does have, right now, I think he's in the top 50 for the uh, Beavis Fran Bevo Francis Award. Uh, last year, he made it to the final 25. That's for the top player in all of D2 and D3. Yeah. And he's yeah. a finalist for the uh it's brand new Trevor Hodgins Award done again by the small uh small basketball college group. Um and that's for the best person with a four-year career in college basketball. Honestly, I think oh, Jeff wow. should be hands down the winner of that. We'll see how yeah. it goes. Uh Octavio is a different player than Jeff. Uh O is really a complete player. Jeff is a big man. He doesn't do as well stepping away, although it's getting better and better. O is just a stud basketball player. He's in a weight room a ton as well. I saw him play every high school game. It was during COVID. And we talk after every game because I could only watch him online. Um, he He's probably the most mentally tough player on the team. Uh, when we split up and go five on five, whatever team O is on, they win. And if they're losing, it's kind of like, give me the ball. I'm going to score. Uh, and that's a negative thing. Sometimes it can happen in a game. If we're mm -hmm. playing poorly, oh, we'll just say, okay, let me take care of this. And he'll just do some things that are, they, they work a majority of the time, obviously. Uh, but there's times where a coach, you're going, ah, that's a heat check. We can, we can back that down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but they're different players. That's why they complement each other. Jeff is more of a uh, inside out player. We do run a lot of our offense around him because he's got a very, very high IQ. So he'll have the ball at the top of the key a lot, and we run off that. Uh, and Octavio can score all three levels really at will. 
defensively he's getting better and better he's getting stronger and stronger yeah Yeah. uh you talked how two of your best players both in the weight room heavy how important is the weight room to king state 100 percent. it's it's important uh it's probably one of the things probably the most important thing i think we changed uh from previous years to now is i have them in the weight room at least three days a week during the season um and that's only by what i'm saying they're in there more than that and i think the players are really bought into that uh, again it goes back to what type of culture you have if a player doesn't want to lift he's probably not going to fit in with our program because uh, we have it's a, it's a full program that they have to do we have a strength and conditioning coach that gives them a program and they're expected to do it and it's on their phones and it gets sent in and i have uh pre-season mid-season and end of season evaluations of their weightlifting so i could i can see if they've improved or if they've you know unimproved <laughs> i respect that i respect that so king state is averaging close to 90 points per game sitting at 89.3 right now what type of offense did you try to implement coming into this year well i mean i'm probably uh when we talk about what what other coaches have seen or what you've done i don't think you're inventing anything new but I'm a real disciple of uh, Billy Donovan, John Calipari, getting up and down the court. But it's not just the offensive end. You know, I do it at the defensive end as well. We pick up full court. Um, so I, first great shot, that's what we're taking. Now, does that hurt us sometimes? Yeah. I mean, there's been some games where we're getting off five shots in a row in under seven seconds. And if nothing's going in, then you're sprinting all the way back or you're picking up your man, playing 94 feet of defense. If they score or don't score, there's an issue there about, you know, what are you giving up to gain something? Obviously, with our, what our record says, it's worked out pretty well for us. We do have a number of quality scorers on the team. I don't think we're a team you can just prepare for for just Jeff and O because we have three other guys, four other guys on the team that have all scored 20 plus in a game. It's just a matter of which poison you're going to take or give us. Yeah. yeah. And we were yeah. watching some interviews with you early on and – you seem very passionate about that your team is third in the country and assist the turnover ratio. What are you doing in practice or leading up to the games to make sure your team is fully committed to taking care of the basketball while playing at that fast pace? Yeah, interestingly enough, we should have more turnovers playing at that fast pace. So I think that's why that the standard where we're at is even better than what the statistic shows. What uh, in all honesty, it's if you turn the ball over, we run. Uh, so. You know, sometimes we'll lay four balls out and say we're going to play a four-minute segment. When those balls go away, we have to run because we turned it over too many times within that segment. So we try to emphasize it throughout the practice, you know, coming to two every time, pivoting every time, making 100% pass. Yeah, that's awesome. And leading on into postseason play, you know, one of the great conferences in the East region, the LEC, you guys are coming into that postseason play. What should we expect from Keene State into the LEC tournament and maybe beyond if you guys win? Well, I really think we're the we're a type of team that I call us the the lunchbox crew. Um, that's more from me than the players. They don't they find it funny. They giggle about it every time I say it, and I'm just like that's okay because uh, when you got to pack your lunch and go to work every day, you're you, you know you're that you're that blue collar worker. Uh, and that's the way we got to be going into every game. I think every team knows we're going to play tough. We're going to play fast. We're going to be aggressive, both offensively and defensively. And you just have to match. I want them to match us. I don't worry about matching up with another team. 
I want you to have to worry about matching up with us, and we'll see how it goes. I had I wanted to circle back just about talking when we talked about the two preseason All Americans, Brito and Hunter. Um, how do you kind of build trust with them um, and buy and get complete buy-in from them? It's just those are the type of guys they are, or is it just conversations between each other? It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time spent together. Uh, obviously, like so, Jeff's been there five years now. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I was with him every all of his high school games and tournament games. So we, we developed a relationship and, and with his family as well. Uh, his mom will literally write me about, you know, should we be doing something this week, whether it's, you know, cookies, cake, sandwiches, something for the team. Mother's very supportive of that. Oh, the same way. I mean, we talk through high school and when he gets there, we spend, we have weekly meetings outside of practice. Um, when they have classes in the building, they just stop in. You know, coach, how we doing? Is there anything we got to talk about? We can sit down, we can watch film. It's it's a lot of trust building. We have what I call it as five pillars of what we are, and it's nothing more than the fist that Mike Shashevsky builds his on. The only difference is uh, I use I use trust as the top pillar. He uses communication. So I go trust is number one, communication number two, um, accountability number three, care number four, pride number five. And if we build that fist as a team. We talk about it. And when I say that collective responsibility, so it doesn't matter whether we win or lose, we're all responsible for what goes on. So no matter what goes on in practice or outside of practice, even in their classes, it's a collective responsibility. If if you have a roommate and you don't wake him up when you leave for class and he oversleeps, that's both your faults. That's not one person's fault or the other. And then that's my fault for not, not having a assistant coach or student manager contact them to make sure they got up for, for school. I mean, we just got home the other night from an away game at, at 12:30 at night and some of them eight o'clock classes the first thing i say to them before you know we get off the bus is okay whoever has an eight o'clock class you need to make it if you feel you're going to oversleep then you let me know i will call you to make sure you're up so our team has to have trust number one and no matter yeah. what we do and it's only built by being together the more we're together the more trust you build so to kind of end it um he talked earlier in the podcast just about how you didn't know about the business side or, you know, moving, you know, 36 inches to the other side of the room where it's a whole different world at the head coaching position um, at this level. So just kind of talk about your biggest piece of advice for, you know, a first year head coach that's maybe joining a new program and is trying to build a culture. Yeah, a first year head coach, I'd obviously tell them to um, be quiet, listen a lot and take everything in. No matter where you work, you can gain something from every coach you're ever around. Uh, you never stop learning anywhere you go and there you can pick up bits and pieces no matter where it is whether it's online or, or right here you know you and I can pick up something from each other all three of us uh, in, in a way we're going to view something so a first year coach at the college level needs to listen to really get on the same page of what they're already doing and then as you develop that just trying to become more involved uh, you know I did a lot of stuff there other than when I say the business side, I didn't really get involved in the school stuff. I had a couple guys assigned to me academically to make sure they stay on track, but I didn't do a lot of the paperwork for Coach Kane. He he really did all that paperwork. And when he left, it was a very quick process. And a lot of it got dropped onto me. And I was like, whoa, I didn't I didn't even know we had to do this. So, you know, I, I'd say, you know, become as involved as you can, no matter what your position is. Always offer up your time if you're available. Um, and it and it's a tough profession to get into. You know, there's only so many jobs out there. We talk about scholarships for athletes in school. There's only so many coaching jobs out there. 
Yeah. It's, it's really hard. It's, you have to know a lot of people. And uh, our student assistant coach right now, who's incredible, is Nick Knapps, Nicholas Knapps. You know him, Nicky? I, I've seen him around. I thought you were going to talk about Spencer. He's a good kid, too. Spencer, too. But he's he's still working like a spot below Nicky right now. But yeah. they're going to switch it next year. Mm -hmm. um, but but Nicky did a camp this year out in Kansas. He did a camp at, I think, uh, uh, Marquette. And he did work the camp. Providence, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So Nicky does all those things. He wants to be a coach. That's great. You got to do those. Spencer, now he, he does his Spencer runs, which are incredible. You know, the thing is, he's working most of the time with all the D1 kids, not doing anything for Keen. Um, the people he's <laughs> knowing are, are great, though, because then he gets the next guys down that come and do his runs. Uh, honestly, I get, a, I get a, a text from somebody or a video. I send it to Spencer. I said, let me know if I need to call this kid. Uh, <laughs> Spencer is a great asset for the team. And uh, he's going to I just talked to him the other day about so next year I need to give you more responsibilities because I know the direction he wants to take. He's pretty close to where he wants to be, though. He's he's already good at X's and O's. Uh, he just wrote me a scout the other day. I said, all right, we're getting into tournament time. Teams, I don't know if we're going to play. But I'm like, you know what, Spence, you got some time. Do up a scout on these two teams. Um, and we'll see. Maybe we play them, maybe we don't. But at least we're already that far ahead because you're well aware when the tournaments come, it's really, really quick. Yeah. 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 Nah, you're full of great answers. We've learned a lot from you throughout this episode. But we're going to end. A little rapid fire and starting five edition. So let us know when you're ready for the rapid fire. All right. Favorite NBA coach of all time? Phil Jackson. Okay. <laughs> Favorite NBA player when you were a kid? Will Chamberlain. Okay. Now you're dating me. I got to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite movie? Top Gun. Good one. Good one. That's Did fire, you like the sequel fire. or no? It was okay. It wasn't <laughs> okay. the same as the first. Yeah. I got you. All right. So this starting five edition is going to be players you've coached in your career. It can be from when you first started to now, any player you've coached. So basically, if you were the head coach of a team needing a starting five, who would your starting five be of the players you coach in your career? Um, Adam Harrington, number one. And just just say a little bit about like what made this player so good, where you coached him at, stuff like that. He was at Pioneer Valley Regional School when I started coaching there. I was I was the assistant then. Uh, we won two state championships with him. We lost uh, his senior year. I think he's probably third in the state of Mass in scoring still. Uh, then he went on to NC State, then to Auburn, bounced around the NBA. He actually has a gym now in uh, New Jersey that he runs, and his son plays up at New Hampton. Oh, he trains KD, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I know. I know him actually. He's a player development guy. Yeah. Yep. He's a he. Wherever they want him to go, he just goes and trains people. Uh, we were sitting <laughs> on my couch funny. once. He came back from. Uh, I forgot what team he was with Dallas at the time. We called mm -hmm. up uh, Cuban sitting on my couch. Then we called Steve Nash. Then we called Dirk. I'm just yeah. like, yeah. But I mean, again, that just goes to show you how tough it is to get to the NBA. Yeah, this, this guy was everything in the state of Massachusetts. Um, he scored uh, 30, 26 points on Trajan Langdon when they played Duke as a wow. freshman. Um, so he was wow. a player. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then Jeff Hunter would be my number two. Uh, I don't think I need to say anything about him. Mm -hmm. Ty Nichols, who is a Keene State graduate. Um, 
He's the all-time leading scorer right now, although Octavio is on pace to break his record. Uh, Ty's playing professionally still over in uh, Europe right now. Uh, Willie Workman, who uh, went to Amherst College, uh, won the won the national champ or went to the Final Four. I don't remember if they won. They, I think they they might have won it. And uh, he's playing professionally in Israel now. Uh, he was originally from Northampton. And uh, Octavio, that would be my five. That's tough. Five. Yeah. Um, go go through it real quick. Who you would have at the one, two, three, four, five? Like, just say their names at what position. Yeah, that would be different then. <laughs> uh, I'd have Ty at the one, O at the two, Willie at the three. Adam at the four, Jeff at the five. Respect, respect. You guys might compete against some some top teams with that lineup. For oh, sure. we could. We we definitely <laughs> could. Uh, both Willie and Ty still play in the the uh, the million dollar tournament, the TBT. Yeah. Uh, Willie played with the Nerd Squad the last two years. Ty played with We Are D three. Adam, like I said, he's he wouldn't do anything now. He's older. He's just training people. He's always all. He's somewhere in the world every. Every time I talk to him, he's like, yeah, well, I'm here now. Uh, I'm trying to hook up Jeff right now with some people that Adam may know regarding going overseas to play because I want Jeff in a good spot. I don't want him anywhere that would be dangerous and things like that. So Jeff's open to that, which is good. Respect. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Not Even D2. We appreciate you joining the show and giving us some insight behind your career in Keene State. Uh, Appreciate you. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yes, sir. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Even D2. If you haven't already, make sure to go follow all the socials at Not Even D2. You can catch every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, KJ Allison, and I'll see you next episode.